You are listening to The Voice of the Arts, WQED-FM. I'm Jim Cunningham, and with me is Ryan Rudzinski from the Grable Foundation, who's the author of a book about Fred Rogers, When You Wonder You Are Learning. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but we also want to address Be the Kind Kid, the Kindness in Action campaign. Ryan, what brings you here today? Jim, first of all, thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here with you, a story broadcaster, and to be here in this historic building, WQED, uh, which for, uh, for reasons we'll get into is important to me on many, many levels. Now, Fred said that one of the toughest assignments we'll ever be given is to make goodness attractive. What, what was the meaning behind those words? It is tough, right? I mean, if you think about what is attractive and what is popular in the culture, uh, not only today, but also in Fred's time, there's a lot of acrimony, right? We see it in the headlines. We see it uh, in our sort of daily interactions. The things that are popular are not always positive. They're not always good. Fred, of course, was an outlier, right? Fred made goodness attractive. When he first saw television, the first thing he ever saw was people throwing pies in each other's faces. And he said he hated to see technology being used to demean other humans. He could have run away from television, but instead he came here to WQED. He said, I'm going to take this technology that's not good or positive yet, but I'm going to find a way to make it constructive for kids. And I think the challenge that Fred gave us, the challenge for all of us, is to figure out how we can follow in Fred's footsteps each in our own way. How can we make the technology and the politics of our day good? And how can we make that goodness attractive. Now, you spun your interest in Fred Rogers into a book working with Greg Bear. Tell me about the book and how it uh, relates to the Be the Kind Kid. Sure. It's interesting that you asked me that while I'm sitting here because, so I mentioned earlier, Greg and I work for the Grable Foundation and, and part of the responsibility of supporting children and youth is uh, knowing what works and figuring out are we supporting them responsibly? Are we funding programs um, that, that, that accomplish what it is that kids and families say they need? And so in order to do that, we have to turn to the experts, right? We have to look around, even just around this neighborhood, look over at Carnegie Mellon University or talk to professors at the University of Pittsburgh. We reached out to learning science, uh, excuse me, learning scientists, lifelong teachers, folks who know more than anyone else about how it is that children learn and thrive. And what we found when we started talking to these few people a few years ago is that they were very Fred-like in the things they were talking about. You know, when I went to go talk to learning scientists, I expected to see lots of charts and graphs and hear really technical terminology that maybe I didn't understand. But instead, they were asking questions. They were asking questions like, how do we make sure kids feel safe? How do we make sure that kids feel like they belong to a community that cares about them? How do we make sure, as Fred used to say, that kids know that they are loved and capable of loving? And so in talking to all these scientists and all these experts, we like to say they sounded like scriptwriters in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And that's when we realized that maybe there's another story to be told about Fred, someone who wasn't just a nice guy in a sweater, someone who wasn't just uh, a television creator, of course, although he was all of those things, but as someone who was, in a very real sense, a scientist himself, someone who studied what works for kids and families and who blended it with stories and songs and puppetry, building what eventually became Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And so our book is um, 
It's a little bit different than a biography, a little bit different than a memoir, and that I think it's the only book to really examine Fred's methods. How did he do what he did? How did he create those feelings in so many kids and families for so many years in a row? And what is it that we, and when I say we, I mean teachers and parents and, and anyone who works with and cares for kids, what can we continue to learn from Fred today? You've made the book interactive with teachers in classrooms, right? Uh, interactive in... Well, there's something I noticed on the website, I can't remember exactly what you call it, of a way that teachers can participate in the message of the of the book? Sure, absolutely. So our, our sort of shorthand for the book is, what what's your Fred method? What are the Fred-like things that you're doing in the classroom that nurture the whole child, that nurture children's emotions and their, their social emotional needs, uh, their cognitive development, their mental health, and so on, all these things that Fred attended to in the neighborhood. And what we found is we've talked to teachers across the country and right here in Pittsburgh is that there are teachers in just about every classroom, just about every library, just about every art center who are following in Fred's footsteps in their own ways, doing things that uh, they're taking technology just like Fred did and finding ways to make it good and constructive and positive for kids. There are so many teachers who are now looking to Fred uh, as a role model, because in many ways, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was a blueprint for exactly the kind of learning that science now tells us children need in order to grow and thrive. Fred Rogers was the man, Fred Rogers, who was the product of his family and sure. the way he grew up. But there was a lot of deep thinking oh, behind yeah. the writing of, you mentioned the scripts and the educators and the advisory panel that he had and key people in his world that he went to for <laughs> psychological advice and teaching advice. Did you and Greg look into all of that, the process that he used for creating his, his thinking? It was amazing. Once we had this thesis, like, let's go look at Fred as a scientist. The evidence was everywhere we looked. And in ver a very real sense, Fred was a scientist. So in addition to working here at WQED, he also studied at the Arsenal Family and Children's Center, which is not far from where we're sitting right now. And it was at Arsenal, especially at the time Fred was studying there in the 1950s, that this place was home to a Mount Rushmore of child development theorists and practitioners. These were some of the best-known pediatricians and psychiatrists and psychologists on the planet all of whom happened to be working in the exact same building right here in Pittsburgh at the exact same time. And in walked a young Fred Rogers. So these were folks like uh, Brazelton. These were folks like Dr. Benjamin Spock, who wrote the famous book, Baby and Child Care, which is, uh, interestingly enough, one of the best-selling books in America of all time, even today. It came out in 1959. There was Eric Erickson. And most importantly, there was Dr. Margaret McFarland, who uh, was a psychiatrist at the University of Pittsburgh who became Fred's lifelong mentor and dear friend. And you're right, they all advised him. Fred took what he was learning from these folks and he blended it with stories and songs and the design of the physical neighborhood set itself. And sometimes, you know, Max King writes about this in his biography. Fred was always trying to give kids the absolute best he could. And when he realized, when he had a question about something, should I do it this way in the neighborhood or should I do it that way? He would stop filming and he would walk right out the front door of this building and he'd walk up the street to the University of Pittsburgh and he would take his problem to Margaret McFarland. Uh, in a very real sense, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was grounded in science. And I think that's an overlooked part of the Fred Rogers legacy. But it's that science that I think continues to make Fred so relevant, so powerful today. Margaret's no longer with us. 
She is not. She passed away in the 1980s. But fortunately, there has been um, uh, a bit of a resurgence of interest in her. Um, she's not as well known as her male counterparts at the at Arsenal Family and Children's Center. She didn't write as much, uh, but she was every bit as influential and as important to those folks. And now as people go back and examine the methods, examine the science that Fred Rogers used, they are, of course, rediscovering Margaret McFarland because without Margaret McFarland, Fred Rogers never becomes Mr. Rogers. You mentioned when we sat down Fred in this building, and of course it's a big memory for me. I can see him sitting in your chair, <laughs> and now Joanne is gone too. Yes. Did you ever meet Joanne, his widow? So when we first had the idea for the book, the first thing we did was was called Joanne Rogers, Queen Sarah Saturday herself. Um, first to say, you know, does this idea sound right? And if it does, do we have your blessing? And the answer to those questions was fortunately yes joanne was a huge champion for us she was a huge champion for the book she um she wrote the foreword which i have to grudgingly admit is is the best part of the book it really is just a beautiful piece and uh joanne she passed away just a few years before the or i'm sorry a few months before the book came out so uh, if we have if greg and i have one regret of this whole this whole endeavor, it's that we didn't get a chance to give her a, a finished copy and, and give her a hug and say thank you. But I do hope that the book advances uh, her husband's legacy and, and Joanne's legacy in a way that would make her proud. Did you have any opportunity to speak with other uh, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood regulars, Mr. McFeely, David <laughs> Newell, uh, or, or I don't know, Bill Eisler, who ran the company? Bill Eisler has been a champion from the book from day one. Uh, when we called Joanne Rogers, we also called Bill Eisler. These are the two people you have to have their blessing. Hedda uh, Sherapin, one of the most Fred-like people I've ever met in my life. Uh, we sometimes joke, we can't always tell where Fred ends and, and Hedda begins because her sensibility... Uh, her knowledge of what works for children is just, it, it'll bowl you over. There are so many of Fred's colleagues who are still here in Pittsburgh, still doing incredible work. And just like Fred, there's so much that all of us can continue to learn from them um, from today. Of course, Hedda completely adopted Fred's voice as the writer of so many letters from viewers, thousands of yeah. them, over, the, over many, many years. It's astounding to think she of the, is the like, mail she responded to. I, I sometimes, you know, so when we were putting the book together, I was joking with Greg. I said, you know, the, the one thing I would really, really love is if we could get Hedda Sherapin to read our manuscript and, and, you know, point out where we got things wrong. And we never thought it would happen. But a few weeks later, Hedda reached out totally on her own and said, hey, I heard you're working on this book. I'd love to take a look. She made it a million times better than it was in draft form. And she became a friend. And, you know, Hedda, I, I recently had a, a young son. Uh, Hedda makes him, she's made him a blanket and a sweater. And to, to now know the people who helped create this program that meant so much to me when I was a kid. And to have those people now in a very real way taking care of my own son, uh, it's just, it, it's an unbelievable, it's an unbelievable honor. How did the two of you work, you and Greg Bear, on putting the book together? How did you divide the labor? And full disclosure, Greg Bear is a member of our community advisory board of many years, so he's part of the family, and he's been in the QED tent for a long time. Yeah, so this book really springs out of a network that Greg co-founded back in 2007 called, it's now called Remake Learning. And and Remake Learning is sort of modeled on the Fred's, uh, Fred's neighborhood sensibility. 
the idea that learning happens everywhere. It happens in classrooms, it happens in libraries, it happens in museums and art centers, and right here in community media television stations like WQED. And so we had been kind of kicking this idea around, let's write a book about remake learning. Uh, and we realized Fred was a really, really good hook for that because everybody knows Fred. Everybody appreciates the sensibility that Fred brought to children. So uh, I sometimes joke that if if it were up to me, if I had written this book alone, the book would be 700 pages and it would be full of weird historical anecdotes. Greg is a, an amazing editor who checks my worst impulses. And uh, I, I hope I did the same for him. And we ended up with this, um, you know, a book that I think is both playful and practical and interesting to parents and teachers. Uh, and he was always pushing me uh, as we were writing this to keep that exhausted parent in mind, right? Keep it short, keep it to what's essential. And I didn't quite get what he meant by exhausted parent at the time, but now I'm an exhausted parent and I totally get it. And I'm very grateful to Greg for that. The title of the book is When You Wonder You're Learning. Mr. Rogers, Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. Yep. Back to Be the Kind Kid. How? What are your deliverables? How are you going to know success? Yeah, so this campaign starts with uh, a teacher at Evanworth Primary. And a couple of years ago, some students came to this teacher. Her name's Maureen Frew. And they said, hey, you know what? We have all this makerspace equipment in our school. What if we made T-shirts and then we sold those T-shirts for charity? Now, that group, which is called uh, JAM, Be the Kind Kid, they have sold, I think it's over 100,000 Be the Kind Kids t-shirts over the past couple of years. And so we thought, how is it that we can build on what this group started and invite other folks in to do their own sort of Be the Kind Kid projects? And so we invited, I think it was every school district in Allegheny County and beyond um, to say, hey, what if we all took up Fred's challenge, that challenge that you mentioned earlier about making goodness attractive? What would it look like in your classroom? And so we put out this call. We now have, it's more than 140 classrooms across the region, across dozens of different school districts participating. And what kids are doing is that they are designing kindness projects in their classrooms. So, and those are different depending on what their classrooms, uh, what their what their needs are. So. Every classroom is going to come up with some sort of, it might be an art installation, it might be a campaign, like a, like a food drive, it might be something else, but all of it is designed to convey that message I mentioned earlier. I like you just the way you are. Kids are conveying that to one another. They're conveying that to their teachers, to their families. They're conveying it to their communities. Again, going above and beyond just being nice and trying to show one another how important their neighbors are to them. Uh, how much they love their neighbors because, uh, you know, it's easier. I think it's easier to fear our neighbors than it is to love them. But when we remind ourselves that we can make goodness attractive, um, I think we're going to see some some really exciting, some really heartwarming projects come out of this. Age range of the participants? Uh, elementary all the way up through high school. And how do you get them hooked in? Isn't it more kid thinking to be the bad kid is to be the, <laughs> the cool kid. You know, you're more cool, cool if you're bad than if you're kind, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I think, it, of course, like, uh, it's often the bullies who are, who are maybe popular. It, making goodness attractive is difficult. Like Fred said, he said, that's one of the toughest assignments you'll ever be given. 
But I think inside we all have a longing for something better, right? We all have a longing to be the kind kid. We all have a longing to do something kind for our neighbors, and we all have a longing to be accepted by our neighbors in turn. And so I think what a, a campaign like this does is it, it doesn't give anybody ideas. Like, they're bringing the ideas to us. What I do think it gives them is permission. It gives you permission to be the kind kid because we're all doing it together. We're all making this good and attractive together. And um, so it's going to culminate in November on World Kindness Day, uh, which is November 13th. And there are going to be two installations of these projects, one at the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh, uh, one at the Jewish Community Center in Squirrel Hill at the Center for Loving Kindness. So Pittsburghers can actually come in and see what these kids have built, see what these kids have created, and get a sense of how that very Fred-like kindness has changed the atmosphere and the culture of, of their schools and their classrooms and their communities. You mentioned there are lots of teachers and lots of students participating, but are they private schools? Are they Pittsburgh public schools? Uh, how broad-ranging? Are they all over the world? Where, where are the, so they're all over southwestern Pennsylvania, and we have, I think it's more than a dozen public school districts. There might be a few private schools in there as well, because we also uh, invited some uh, after-school programs and some uh, sports teams and things like that. So uh, while it is primarily classrooms that are participating, it's not solely. We wanted to make this as big and expansive as we could. Uh, again, going back to that neighborhood sensibility of, of learning happens everywhere and kindness can happen everywhere too. I just noticed in, in looking at the information on the web about the kindness in action campaign, there are blocks involved uh, how how are the blocks what are, what are, how yeah, are the blocks so organized today today is september 26th we are in the middle of the design block so right now kids across the region are thinking about you know what are our sort of kindness needs you know do we need to change the culture of our classroom or do we need to do something bigger for our community what are the sorts of kindness needs we might want to fulfill with this project then they're going to move into the build block where they're actually going to design this project. So some classrooms are building what's known as a kindness tree where they're writing messages to one another. Uh, others might uh, actually build out their uh, community food drive or something like that. And then they'll move into the share block which in which they're going to talk to one another about what it is they're doing. They're going to talk to one another about what this sort of kindness means to them and what it means to their communities. And then, uh, like I said, it'll culminate in sharing uh, at these two installation sites in November. How is Kidsburg involved? Kidsburg is our media partner. So Kidsburg will be writing stories about this. They're uh, trying to amplify this, bring folks in. Um, and they're also going to be a sort of repository for photos and videos, any of the digital artifacts that might come out of this campaign. So, so pretty soon your listeners will be able to find a, uh, a Be the Kind Kid landing page when they go to visit Kidsburg. Wasn't Grable Foundation involved in a social media effort similar to these ideas? Somewhat similar last year, yeah. So um, Be Kind, uh, Grable's involvement really began two, three years ago. Uh, when we partnered with uh, the Born This Way Foundation, which is actually the foundation launched by Lady Gaga and her mother. Uh, so they do 
It's called uh, hashtag BeKind21. They've been doing this. It was a 21-day kindness campaign. Uh, we got on board two years ago, and then uh, so did a lot of other folks. So we have lots of partners in this campaign. The Children's Museum and, and the Jewish Community Center, like I said, uh, also Kidsburg, also the Saturday Light Brigade or SLB Radio, uh, also the original Jam Club, Maureen Frew and her kids at Avonworth, and, and WQED. Um, so we have all these new partners involved, but this is the first year that we've brought all these classrooms and all these kids uh, in. And I'm so excited to see what we can all accomplish together. And as a member of the family of the Grable Foundation, this is an amazing effort. What impresses you overall about what Grable does and their mission for Western Pennsylvania? Wouldn't you say that Andrew Carnegie, having started his philanthropy <laughs> in Pittsburgh, this is a town for philanthropy, and Grable is a very special part of it. It is. It is. I, and I, I, loved, I love being part of that philanthropic tradition here in Pittsburgh. It is unlike any place else I've lived. And in fact, I think if I have my stats right, Pittsburgh is either like fourth or fifth in terms of total philanthropic giving of all cities uh, in the nation. It's like Seattle, New York, San Francisco, and, and us. This is a philanthropy town. What I love and appreciate about the Grable Foundation um, a couple of things. One is that we are laser focused on kids and families. Um, I think that makes us a little bit unique. We have our own approach to giving, uh, and yet we can also collaborate with just about every other major foundation here in Pittsburgh. Um, but it's also, it's that Fred-like sensibility. We are here to make life better for kids. Uh, and to make life better with kids and along, work alongside families and communities and nonprofits. I really appreciate the Grable Foundation's attention to asking folks what it is that they need rather than telling them what it is that they need uh, and structuring our, our giving and our partnerships and our collaborations uh, accordingly. I, I, it's nice to wake up and go to work every day thinking and knowing that you're making the world a better place. Couldn't agree more, and that's why we love being a partner with you, <laughs> after, after all. Is and we any... get to work with WQED. What I could be better? That, definitely. Now, is there anything we should share that we haven't about Be the Kind Kid, kindness in action? Be the Kind Kid. So this is a campaign in which we invited kids, but we also want to extend the invitation to everybody. You don't need to be a formal part of this campaign, but I think it's worth asking ourselves, especially as adults, what kinds of messages we're sending about the value of kindness. Um, there's, a, there's a part in our book where we mention this really interesting study in which um, the Harvard Graduate School of Education asked kids, or first they asked adults, what, what is most important to you in terms of what you want to see in your kids? Not a single adult said the most important thing about my kids is their grade point average or how well they do in school. Almost all of them said, I want my kids to be generous. I want them to be caring. I want them to be loving people. I want them to be kind people. Then the researchers went and asked the kids, now what do you think your parents think most important? Not one of the kids said kindness. Not one of the kids said kindness or character or all these things that adults really valued. Kids think all we care about is grades. Kids think all we care about is what they can accomplish in school or, or, or elsewhere. And so there's a disconnect, right, between what we adults value and what kids think we value. And I think this campaign is an opportunity to make clear 
just how important is, how important kindness is to us adults um, and just how much we value it in, in them. Assuming that adults would be primarily who would be listening to our conversation, what would you like to encourage them to do to get involved? I would encourage them to visit, first of all, kidsburg.org. I'm sorry, kidsburg.org, K-I-D-S-B-U-R-G-H dot O-R-G. There you'll find uh, a story about the kickoff. You'll find some resources about hashtag Be the Kind Kid. Uh, and you can even uh, find out how to get your very own hashtag Be the Kind Kid t-shirt. Uh, you can join the hundreds of thousands of people who have them already. You, you already start seeing them around town. And I would also encourage adults to visit the installations at the Children's Museum and the Jewish Community Center uh, beginning uh, on November 13th to see what our kids, and when I say our kids, I mean our collective kids, uh, have come up with, because I think it's going to be really powerful. Ryan, it is a real treat to speak with you. Thank you so much for coming by. Keep it going. It's so great. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Jim. It's a pleasure.